and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly, and I am joined today by a real treat. The professor is back. Elder, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Tom. Great to be with you today. Yes, calling from rainy, cold Philadelphia, aren't you? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> but you're coming back to town. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there in a couple of weeks. Love it. For a, good, for a good month in the sunshine. Can't wait. Love it, love it, love it. This is round 11, turn five, and we are going to be talking about the 2014 release, Castles of Mad King Ludwig by Ted Alsbach, a game that is uh, coming out with a collector's edition as we speak. So we're going to let you know. Uh, we've talked about it in the past, but we've never really delved into it. So we're, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty and let you know if maybe that's something that you might want to uh, to kick or to, to, to purchase. We're also going to be talking about tips for becoming a board game designer. And who better than the professor? I mean, Trey also could have uh, could have weighed in on this but but elder that sort of you have been a mentor to a whole bunch of people in the gaming community board gaming and video video gaming so um it seems like you're going to be sharing some of the the wisdom that you've had over the years about sort of mentoring people toward becoming game designers is that correct yes absolutely excited about that yeah it sounds awesome so people may not know, Elder, about uh, about this side of your life, about the the mentoring and things like that. Like, I know for a fact that that uh, I think we did mention that you went to to Ghana to 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 basically be one of the keynote speakers at a conference. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I gave the 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 keynote at the first video game conference in Ghana uh, a couple years ago. Must have been what twenty in the fall of twenty nineteen. Yeah, that, that must have been that must have been absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was. It was. It was amazing. It was a life altering experience. Um, totally looking forward to getting back to Africa once things open up. Um, would like to go to Nairobi, Kenya next. Wow. Um, but also the Caribbean is really heating up for me right now. Um, and I, the first island that I really hit there is uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, and the, gorgeous. The, univer the University of Trinidad and Tobago invited me down to do, the first time I went, a game design masterclass, um, which, you know, everybody built prototypes, uh, you know, in the week. So right. we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, and then I came back and did another thing, which was like a, um, like a boot camp for projects that had a game element and a animation element, which was a lot of fun, so... Which, uh, talk about your two specialties. That's both of them right there. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, dude, that's amazing. I'm looking forward to talking about your tips for becoming a board game designer. This is going to be awesome. Uh, let's Great. get right into this week's game night. Elder off air, you and I were both talking about how uh, incredibly busy we are this season and how thankful we are to be busy. I mean, it was, it was a rough year last year. So, yeah. uh, uh, given that, what have you been playing when you've had a moment to play? Well, again, <laughs> recently not um, not much in terms of like, you know, again, I was like crazy into TTS when this whole thing first started because it was really like, you know. Um, 
it was just the only way that we could board game and kind of like it was so abrupt all of a sudden we couldn't do it oh yeah and it, and it really kept me going for a while but i i don't know something happened like a month or two ago and i was just like it was just starting to get tiring i mean i'm i guess as i've gotten busier i'm on zoom calls all day yep so the last thing i want to do is spark up like tts and like you know basically be on you know the computer for another couple hours so um so what i have been able to play uh this this past week is um actually to get my exercise i've been (laughs) using vr i've been using my my quest headset and i've been playing dance central which Mm -hmm. is from the harmonics guys that put you you know guitar oh yeah oh yeah so it's their vr dance game it's like dance dance revolution but in vr so that's fun and it's like in a way, it's kind of sad too, Tom, because <laughs> the game the game takes place inside a club, right? So yeah. it's like a nightclub that you're going in. You're going to these different rooms and, and okay. dancing with people. Oh and it's God. like, hello, hello. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, and it's like it's it's like I feel like it's like my outlet for being social, like these virtual <laughs> people that are in a club. Like it's like it's so sad, dude. Oh man, it, it it sounds like the depressing beginning of uh, Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, it really is, dude. Like I again, I think that dude was so on point with the way things are going, especially after what's happened this this past year. Oh yeah, yeah, we're definitely headed that way. I mean, you know, the stacks, right? Look at all these people that are living in campers now and having and having them parked different places. Van life, hashtag van life. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's happening. Like it's it, crazy. It really so, is. So yeah, I played that, and then I actually so that gives me my exercise. Like I started taking a power walk in the morning, but I do that at night because um, mm. I just you know again I'm sitting all day. Now I'm actually I'm standing right now. Finally, like my standing desk is coming. Oh good. Um, but I but yeah I had to I was getting cramps and stuff because I've been sitting on my ass so much. Right? <laughs> so I play that. I I actually got the actual. XR Fit, which is their dance app, is kind of like a kick, kickboxing class in VR. Wow! So that's been fun. You seem that more really like a you. Beat Saber guy to me, but not 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 so much the Beat Saber. Yeah, it's like I don't know. Like it, it, this is pretty much like a ripoff of Beat Saber, but it's more specifically for exercise. So, so yeah. And then um, my friend Dave Mines, I've been promising for him for months, uh, literally. He just created a uh, a VR game, and he's you know he's a board game designer. So he created this game called City of Eternity. Big big up, Dave Mines. Hope you're listening. Um, and he put it up on SideQuest as like an independent. He got it in the NDK, and I finally set you know my computer and headset up so that I could test his game out. Mm-hmm. And it's actually really really good. Oh so, wow! Yeah, well, that's yep. great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it, 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 when you're talking about you know VR uh, exercise, it reminds me of uh, we had the um, the Xbox Connect. I think we still do actually. Yeah. And uh, Just Dance was a, an yep. amazing, amazing game where you're trying to match the choreography, and it's judging you on how well you match the choreography of these games. And um. Yeah, it's one. It was one of those things that we would play it as a family when the kids would have friends over. We'd put it on for them, and I, I haven't met a single person. I met shy. They were some shy kids that didn't want to do it, but they were completely fascinated by it. Everybody was completely fascinated by it, and it yeah. kicked kicked my butt. I mean, I would be wheezing. <laughs> <laughs> it just tells me, like, wow, I really, I really got to get in better shape. This is really bad. 
This is really bad. Um, uh, for me this week, I uh, played some uh, Terraforming Mars. Uh, mm. Brought Splendor back out, which was fun. Uh, really, uh, that's another one of these games that is uh, elegantly simple. It's like you, you look at the game, you look at the rule set, and you're like, oh, my God, this is... I mean, did it take them 10 minutes to come up with this game? But then you play it, and you're like, oh, there's something really beautiful about a simple rule set that that just works that just really really works and and everything you're doing feels intuitive but it still feels completely competitive uh i i just love that i uh, played some castles of my game ludwig since we were going to do the review and got a game of pipeline in i have to tell you yeah. that is quickly becoming one of my favorite games i mm-hmm. think pipeline is incredible i think it's i i think we ranked it, I think number I think I had it number two or number three uh for the year it came out. I, I think, you know, and it came out the year of Barrage, so what are you gonna do? Mm. But uh I think it's I think it's definitely number two. I may even like it better than Barrage. I mean it's it's weird uh, how mm. how much uh, now having played it a whole bunch of times, um I think there's a lot of depth to it. When all four players or you know, three players are playing three player are competitive in that game. Yeah. It really requires you to to come up with a different strategy to get a little bit of an edge on everybody else because you know it's 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 buying oil, uh refining oil, selling oil, right? Mm-hmm. And there are easier pathways and harder pathways, but the easier pathway is guaranteed somebody else is going for that easier pathway too, and they're buying up the oil before you can get to it. And uh, there's just so many interesting supply chain elements in there. When you're playing with competitive people that that, that know what they're doing, it, it's it's an astonishing game. Mm, Absolutely. Right. I, might, I might have to give it another try. I remember, I, I think I played it twice. Mm-hmm. Twice, maybe three times. And... Um, you know, I saw I saw the like kind of value of the, of the design. Like I thought it was good, but I just it was one of those things where I just didn't feel like I was very good at it, and it didn't feel like a lot of fun. Yeah, but, well, I mean, um, there's only I, I guess, there's only one uh, there's only one resource: oil. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, there you go. Right there. <laughs> I mean, there's those there's there's four different grades of oil, so it's almost like four different resources, and then there's the cards. But yeah, it's not like. No, no, it's, it's, not, it's not. It's nowhere near fifteen to twenty. No, no, and and it's an economic game, really. It, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it is very much. And and listen, I've played many, many economic games with you. I I yeah. think you know. I I've never heard you say I don't want to play an economic game, but I also no. know that's not exactly the the design type that sings to you the most. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get right into. The news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nobles, Alvin Irvin, all the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press flight. There's a really interesting Kickstarter that's uh, that's out right now, and when you listen to this podcast, you're going to have eh, maybe three days left to kick it if you want to. Um, it is a three for three for one, Factory Funner, Bear Raid, and Ghosts of Christmas. If you are uh, and if you're not over the hobby and know your stuff, you might know one of those titles. You might know Factory Funner. Um, but, well, let's, let's just get into it. Here's the deal. Um, these three games are really interesting. I can speak to two of them anyway. 
Mm-hmm. First, let's start with Ghosts of, Ghost of Christmas. Ghosts of Christmas is a trick-taking card game. So hearts, spades, teach you, that kind of stuff. But it has a time travel element in that when you are playing each round, you are playing three separate tricks, past, present, and future. <laughs> it, right? Right? That's pretty cool. Uh, it is, it, it, it's based on, it, it's based on this Japanese game that I've heard about for a long time called Time Palatrix, uh, by Te- Taiki uh, Shinzawa. And, uh, I'd heard about this game for a long time, never got the chance to play it. This is basically a, a redo of that, uh, that super hard to find game. And they, they themed it Ghost of Christmas, Ghost of Christmas Past, Ghost of Christmas Present, Ghost of Christmas Future. Um, I haven't played Time Palatrix, so I can't say, but I've, everything I've heard about it sounds like it is one of the most brain-burnery card games you'll ever play. And, and given that this guy loves Tichu, I absolutely adore Tichu. I'll play hearts, I'll play spades any day. I, I really love those games. And, you know, no amount of this hobby is it seems to be at all impacting that sort of love that came before all of this. Um, that might be a reason alone for me to hop in on this one for sure. Uh, then there is then there is Factory Funner. Factory Funner is a game that it, it's kind of like a cult classic game. Uh, Corne van Morsel designed it a, a while back, and it's a really interesting tile-laying game where you're laying these hexagonal tiles on a factory floor, and each of them have different colored inputs in different segments. And so what you need to do is you are trying to connect all of the machines up by matching up the different colored inputs to the different um, piping that goes throughout the throughout the place. Now, there's a reason that I don't own this game. I don't own this game because the traditional way to play this game is real-time. So it is. Um, did you ever play Galaxy Trucker, Elder? Yeah, yep. yeah. Galaxy. It's it's Galaxy Trucker. You're reaching into the center and grabbing the piece that you need and putting it on your board before somebody else puts it on their board. And that is a that is something that some people love and some people hate. And in our gaming group, we have a, a m- multiple people that do not like the that feeling, the feeling that they get of time pressure. They feel like you know what I. I get enough anxiety in my life. I don't need that. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, but I got to say, it's if you like that kind of thing, it's really good. And evidently, yep. they, they've got a version of it now that is uh, that is not real time. That is uh, that is more spread out. And uh, yeah, so that's well, I've cool. I've I've played this one. Uh, coincidentally, who I mentioned before, Dave Mines, who's in you know my really. You know, my- gaming groups he introduced me to it he loves spatial puzzles he's you know he's a programmer so um so yeah i, I played it and it, i actually remember it being pretty fun you know again not really my type of game right but but that said it was it was very interesting i i, I dare say i've never played anything quite like it oh yeah it's it's yeah it is um the way, the way i would put it is actually weirdly it is um space uh, what are they, space truckers? What 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 is what is the galaxy galaxy, galaxy truckers galaxy truckers? Yeah. it yeah. is galaxy truckers meets pipeline <laughs> in a weird yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> Isn't it? That's yep. that's what the game is. And uh, man, that's that's a delight. And look, 
I've got a big collection of games, and I love my big collection of games. So when I'm trying to decide what to pull the trigger on, it, it's a it's a different calculation for me, right? It's like uh, when I look at the game, when I look at a lot of games, I'm like, oh, well, that seems a little bit like this, or it seems a little bit like this. It's like, do I really need another four player game that does that, right? And and a lot of times the answer is no. I mean, it's right. it's great, it's good. I'd like to play it, but do I want to own it? Do I want right. to hang on to it, or is it something that I, I would have to sell right afterwards, and so on and so forth? This kind of thing, though, Factory Funner is not like anything else, right? It, we can describe it as this meets this, but it's it's a very different game. Um, so this and Ghost of Christmas uh, uh, alone, that that's kind of an auto buy for me because it 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 finds a spot in my collection that I don't have yet. Right. And gives, then there's, there's yet a third game. <laughs> yeah. And there's a, and there is a third game in this bunch too. Bear raid. I didn't know anything about bear raid. And then I found out it's designed by Ryan Courtney, the designer of pipeline. <laughs> oh, wow. And, yeah. and curious cargo, by the way. Right. And it is a stock market game. It's a stock market manipulation game. Uh, it, it involves dice. It seems like, and all these games are short, by the way. These are games that every single one of them should be 40 minutes or less. Like, may, this may be a an amazing filler combo that you can mm-hmm. you can get. And I got to tell you, I backed it. I'm, I'm going for uh, it. I got yeah. to check all this out. It's really interesting to me. Yeah, I dude, you pique my interest. I might be clicking the, the back button on this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this, like, this looks like a really good. And and again, you know, I'm a sucker for you know being a visual artist myself, an animator. Oh yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a sucker for um, you know good graphic art. And this stuff looks beautiful, man. Oh, don't they all? All of them look the color, gorgeous. All of them. The the colors, the the design for each one of them. I mean, it like it's like I almost want to just back it just you know well and, just, for, just for the collection just for how the stuff looks you know does it i mean to your eye because you know much much as an animator you know way better than me there's yep. there seems to be a lot of japanese influence in the in the design of these things the 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 cleanliness of the you know the typography and the lines and and the artwork it just there's yep. something about it that feels a little japanese to me yeah, it's very it's very clean. It's a very uh, graphic style. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the the bear game. It kind of like, you know, al- almost has this. Um, uh, what's that kind of art? The you know, the old um, like industrial kind of German uh, propaganda posters, which I love that style of art. Oh yeah, you know. So yeah, and I you know I love I love um, stock market mechanics too, and this just seems like a a nice little, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't like them to be too heavy necessarily. A stock market so this, game that plays in forty minutes. How bad can it be, right? Is that, that's yeah, like that just seems like a great reference for just again talking about you know game design. Totally, you know, having a nice reference for you know a stock market mechanic. Just, yeah, I'm I'm gonna back it too, dude. Just four days, I'm gonna get this. <laughs> totally looks right. So yeah, yeah. Oh looks man, really good. Looks like looks like a real value. Uh, next up, Reiner Knizia is back in our in our uh, feed here. He's got a new game coming out called The Siege of Rundar. Huh. Um, 
so since time immemorial, the mines of Rundar have been have supplied gold to generations of dwarves. Oh man, come on! Why did why's it got to be, be fantasy? Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind. I'm okay. A Minds of Moria game I'd be into. I'm all right with that. So today, only a handful of them remain, guarding the fortress surrounding the entrance to the old, depleted mine, or so it was thought. This group of dwarves have been fortunate enough to accidentally stumble on a new vein of the purest gold, and they have managed to extract a small treasure. Unfortunately, just as they're about to set off for their nearest stronghold, they discover that Orcs have surrounded Rundal, Rundar and are about to attack to do anything they need to do to get this precious metal. This is a Reiner Knizia game that is a cooperative four-player game of essentially kind of tower defense. You're defending the walls of Rundar long enough to get the gold and get yourselves out to tunnel your way out a back uh, a back passage. Um, you, it is hand-to-hand combat using a deck building system. You can upgrade weapons and tools. I mean, I don't even know what to do with this. This is such a, a, an interesting combination of elements. Like Reiner is, is not really, I mean, I've never seen Reiner do a deck builder. I have a hard time thinking of Reiner doing a cooperative game. Have you, can you think of anything? Uh, the Hobbit is the only one I could think of. Yeah, that's about it, right? Yeah. Really, really interesting. Um, we don't know much about it yet, except that it's supposed to be coming out in 2021. And I'm looking very much forward to finding out more about the Siege of Rundar. Hmm. Yeah, I want to play this. You know, it's like he was he was my first favorite designer, you know, Reiner. Me too. So Me too. He's definitely got a place in my heart and um, glad to see he's still, you know, kicking around and coming out with new games and yeah it's like it's exciting to to have this you know master designer you know play in some spaces some design spaces that he's never done before i don't think he's ever done a deck builder either do you, do you know of one that he's done no i don't I, I don't know if he's ever explored that that particular form i mean no. listen the, the good doctor dr canizia is is a um mathematician right he's got a PhD, right. phd in math so a lot of his designs, you know, have a have a have a very mathy uh, um, construct at the base of it, right? Like, interest. It's interesting the way this uh, formula spreads out, and there's a game in that. That's kind of seems to be the way he thinks in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So, hey. uh, card. So, so a a deck construction sort of thing. Um, there's math in there too. It's just it's just probably not the the first thing that he thinks of. Right. Right. It, it, by the way, I was thinking the other game I was considering for this one, in in terms of um, you know, kind of like an old old classic hidden gem. Yep, was Amon Ray. Oh, um, so good. So maybe maybe we'll put that on the list for for so, one of the upcoming. yeah. I, you know what? I, I having I remember playing Amon Ray about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Sort of going back, and it didn't. It, it wasn't as loved as I remembered it. Um, mm, okay, which is which is interesting. But uh, yeah, listen, I, I like the fact that 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 you and I like you know going old school a little bit and going back to the to the roots. And Reiner Knizia was my was my first favorite designer as well. I mean, it, 
he had this period in the early days when he could he could do no wrong. I mean, everything he was coming out with was Tigris and Euphrates and modern art and even the smaller ones like Through the Desert and Samurai. I mean, they're they're all amazing games. Taj Mahal, holy cow! Um, and then he had a time when his field was fallow. He was designing too many games. He'd come out with like eight, eight games a year. They can't all be winners. Um, but lately he's been kind of coming back. There's been a lot of interesting things that he, Yellow and Yangtze, et cetera, et cetera. He's been doing a lot of really cool stuff recently. I guess in a, in a sort of Stefan Feld way as well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. started off amazing. Everything was was a hit, and then eh, not so much, and now he's, he's starting to come back too, which is really kind of cool. Yeah. Nice to see that happen, you know, when, like talent, you know. Cause, oh, yeah. Because, you know, that that's another thing that i've just been kind of really reflecting on the last couple weeks is that you know there's ups and downs in life it's just how it is you know if everything stays the same you know that means you're dead totally totally i mean isn't that a lesson for 2020 right oh yeah man change it up change it up uh speaking of cooperative uh spirit island has a an expansion called branch and claw that is now available on steam so if you are playing your Spirit Island on uh, online on Steam, uh, check out Branch and Claw. I can't speak much to it because I haven't haven't played it myself, but wanted everyone to know that it is out there. And let's end with one more. Let's talk about Hippocrates by Elaine Orban. If you know the name of Elaine Orban, it's because Maddie's favorite game is Twa, and that is designed by Elaine Orban. Uh, in 2021, it's coming out, and uh, Hippocrates, who uh, is the most famous uh, doctor in history, right? The first doctor, kind of, people say. Um, and interestingly enough, it's a weird theming. I, I have a theory about this. So Hippocrates is basically about having patients come into your Greek hospital, uh, figuring out triage, right? Who do we treat first? Who do we treat later? Paying your doctors, right? Um, Purchasing the medicine, you know, the ingredients that they need to treat them um, and so on and so forth. So it's a hospital management game. This is is Dice Hospital. This is um, clinic. So it feels like he was designing this game for a long time, like really right. dialing it in, and yeah. clinic comes out, and like all of a sudden, a bunch of uh, hospital games come out, and he's like, "Oh, damn! All right, what do I do now? How do I how do I retheme this?" And so he goes, "Oh well, let's go back to ancient Egypt. Let's go to the very first, you know, mes- medical facility. Let's go to the first hospital, and and uh, and do it do it that way." It's really interesting. Like like first of all. I'll just say this. I, I, I'd, I would love to review Clinic because I think it's an interesting game. Uh, um, I played Dice Hospital um, at Essen, and I thought it was okay but not, but not great. So I'm still waiting for a great game about hospital management because I think there's an amazing game there. It, it, it is a theme that has urgency built into it, and the complexities of the things you need to do to keep people alive are intense and deep. So I hope very much that this is that game that I've been waiting for. Uh, yeah. Certainly looks interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they have a, um, I'm trying to look it up now, but I think they have a COVID expansion for Clinic. 
Really? I have, yeah. I got sent the deluxe edition, and I'm dying to get a, a review on it. But of course, uh, the COVID shut everything down. But oh, COVID expansion for that might be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, it's just such a such a rich area that uh, that that you know games haven't touched. And that's that's yep. my favorite thing, right? My favorite thing is give me a theme, give me a setting that I haven't seen before, right? Container comes out, and I'm all over it, like, yeah, dude, can, shipping containers. I want to, I want to feel what it's like to manage a uh, manage, <laughs> manage a major shipyard. That's that's it, absolutely, hundred percent. I am all in pipeline, so good. pipeline. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yep. I, I want to teach me how to refine oil. I want to feel like I've uh, like I'm a, a petroleum engineer for the next two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love um, the. The one you just mentioned. Uh, oh, uh, container. Container. Yeah. Container. So, like, and it's actually that's that's one of the games that is actually way better to play online to play on TTS. Is that right? It's like, yeah, because it's like just the visual of like you know on TTS they have you know a, basically a play surface that looks like the ocean, and you're moving your ships around and you can move the camera around and. Yeah, it's just like it just adds a whole another dimension to the experience of container. Yeah, it's great. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, let's say we talk about uh, the games that are on our brain. Elder, what's on your brain these days? Um, well, again, just the, the games that I've been playing. So the, like the VR, just to, to mention that again, the, um, the dance central. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing the game again for exercise for a while. Right. And then it, and it, you know, the, the navigation system is a little cell phone in the game. Right. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, going, I, I like to hang out in the VIP room. You know, the club, of course. Oh, well, you know. that's, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's your play. Is there a mechanic by which you have to get past the velvet rope? No, no, you just, you just click on there and you, and you can go up there and it's, you know, it's a little private area. So, so it's cool. Anybody can go into the VIP area? A- anybody could. Well, I mean, I think the game story wise takes in, in, in the consideration that you are VIP. Because you don't have to stand in line either when you first go in. You just pop right in a club. So. I would love it if I download this game, I start playing it, and I find out I'm not allowed in the VIP area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be that would be cool. <laughs> but but anyway, right? So like so on the map, I just like I don't know if it if it got unlocked when I played it a certain amount of time. But there's this uh, I can't even think of the 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 lounge the lounge area, right? So you click on the lounge, and the lounge is where there's multiplayer. Right, so you can set up a multiplayer room, or you can uh, just join somebody else's. Right, and this really just fascinated me to a whole another level. Right, because you know it's like it's like that experience that you mentioned before, which I used to love that game too on the Xbox. The, the what was it, Dance? Just Dance. Just dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just Dance. Yeah. I had a couple of different versions of it, but yeah. it's like it just takes, you know, playing these dance games that are, you know, the technology is basically mapping your movements to like a whole another level when you're playing it. with some, It's just so much more fun when you're playing against other people. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and it just like really just kind of like opened my mind up to like you know we're that much closer to um you know the the multiverse you know um <laughs> yeah really kind of right <laughs> yeah yeah like it's it's like because it's crazy it's like you know you, i pop into this lounge and either people are there i join somebody else's room or just somebody pops in and it's kind of this virtual space and it's you know it's limited what you could do in there but it just gives you a glimpse of you know what's coming ready, player, so, ready player one it really is right? yeah <laughs> we're yeah, already kind of there yep that's amazing yep that's Great. amazing yep um, on my mind is Pax Vikings. Um, yeah, we, we've, we've talked about Phil Eklund, so I'm happy to yep. say that Pax Vikings, uh, no Eklunds were harmed in the making of this game. No Eklunds <laughs> were a part of this game. Um, so it, it is a very different Pax game in that I went through the entire rule book and I found no treaties, no treaties why governments aren't necessary or why women should get paid 60% of men or how global warming is the best possible thing for mankind. There wasn't, there wasn't a single treatise. It was just the rule book. It was weird. I don't know what to do with it. Um, <laughs> Maddie and I have been t- talking about Pax Vikings just a little bit and he was like, dude, you got to read the rules for this. You got to check it out. And I've mm-hmm. uh, looked it over and I got to say it's it's almost not a PAX game. It is a very interesting game. First of all, it is the simplest rules lightest uh, um PAX game of them all. Um it is very streamlined and very very interesting. It mm-hmm. feels like it feels like if you come from the PAX school of design which is, you know, Kind of arcane, almost very difficult, very uh, tricky, very rewarding, but 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 pretty you know involved. And you tried to make a Euro game that still had that Pax feel. That seems what Pax Viking is like. I I love it. you're you're moving your long ships uh, around the board. You are competing for for various victory conditions and. That's the classic PAX thing, right? It's like there are four different ways to win, and if you trigger one of the win conditions, everyone else is trying to stop you so that by the end of the round, you don't actually succeed in that. Um, But in this game, there are four difficulty levels uh, as well. So you can tailor your game to whatever difficulty level you want. So you could have a short game with, you know, four light, uh, light difficulty victory conditions or the medium or the heavy or the uh, the super heavy, which is is called, that's the only reference to Eklund in the game, which is the Eklundian uh, victory condition, which is the, the hardest. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to check it out. Um, I think that it, it, it could be one of those, it could be one of those games that, uh, look, I don't like, what Phil Eklund is putting out into the world, and I do not want to support him. Uh, and it it, it 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 pains me because I think the PAX games are amazing, and it, it, it feels terrible that those have been tainted for me that way. So when John Manker, is the, who is the designer of PAX Viking, uh, comes out with kind of a love letter to PAX-style uh, gaming and comes up with something great, and I don't have to feel completely uh, tainted uh, while while playing it because it's it's not uh, it's not secretly trying to to say things that are antithetical to to my system of beliefs and and so on and so forth. I think that's pretty amazing. So, Pax Viking, check it out. Maybe you like it. 
Um, that's it. Should we get to the game review? Let's do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be talking about the Castles of Mad King Ludwig. We brought it up several times before. It is a 2014 release by Ted Alsbach. Ted Alsbach is a very interesting designer. He uh, designed uh, Suburbia, which is a big hit for him. Uh, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, another big hit for him. He's done many uh, Age of Steam boards in the past. He is one of these designers that uh, we probably may overlook a little bit because his designs are very simple. They're very elemental. They're kind of Knizia-like in the sense that he takes just a couple mechanisms, a couple design features, puts them together, and they work. And then he doesn't start adding on a whole bunch of superfluous things. Keeps it really, really simple. Uh, The artists for Castles of Mad King Ludwig are Keith Curtis, Ignacia Dabroskia and Olin Tim. Ignacia, if uh, if I said that wrong, I'm sorry. And the publisher is uh, Ted Osbach's publishing company, which is Bezier Games. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Castles of Mac and Ludwig? Yeah, well, um, it's one of those games where we like where um, you get to create something. Right, like you, mm-hmm. you get you get pieces. In this case, you get basically these rooms, and it's actually based on um, this this actual kind of person <laughs> um, who very you know, silly person, yeah, very silly, who actually you know created these like these really wild you know structures, um, um, and you know that's what you get to to do in the game is you get to construct this this castle from pieces and there's, you know, base, uh, or, uh, like dungeon below pieces where you have to build stairs to go down. And then there's basically these different types of rooms that you have and each one have different bonuses. But every time your, your, your castle, because of the randomness of the way they come out, uh, the pieces or the rooms, uh, your, your castle is going to be different. And, and again, it's like you have, basically a finished piece of work uh, of art at the end of every game. So even if you, you know, do horribly in the game, you still have this kind of sense of um, satisfaction and completion because at least you made this kind of like cool castle, you know? Absolutely. I mean, our, our family, we spend more time talking about which castle we'd want to live in than we, we almost pay very little attention to the score. It's like, okay, yeah, you won. But definitely, I would not want to live in your castle. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Look, yep. you've you've got the you've got the dungeon next to the queen's chamber. Come on. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It make it, it makes no sense. Yeah, I would never put that there. You know. Yep. Whereas whereas I've got the you know, I've got the lounge right next to the cheese room. I mean, I'm set. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot of fun going on in your castle. You don't have enough activity rooms. Exactly. Know? Exactly. Uh, um, yeah. So there are. So it's a bidding game. Uh, so yep. I'm already in. As Trey mentioned last week, I love me a good bidding game. Um, mm-hmm. And but it's interesting in that the way the bidding works is one player is the auctioneer each round, and it, uh, it, and it rotates. Uh, and the auctioneer is going to have a number of rooms to put out, uh, five to seven, I believe, depending on the player count. Right. And uh, the rooms are different shapes, and the rooms are different sizes. They go from a tiny little square that is, uh, that is 100 square feet to huge 800 square feet kind of um, sort of long octagonal 
uh, uh, st- structures. And um, and each of them are different room types. There are uh, sleeping rooms. There are activity rooms. There are hallways. There are uh, basement rooms, um, and and so on and so forth. And each room type has uh, several different features about it. First of all, they uh, they tend to be uh, specific in one or more ways. So outside rooms um, tend to have a open side that has to be left open. You can't put anything next to that side of the room, right? But then they also have things that happen. So what happens when you complete a room? And how do you complete a room, Elder? Um, basically, there's entrances uh, for each room. So you have to have either you know, a stair, a hallway, or another room. Um, to complete them yes and then it's complete and when you when you complete any of the type of room depending on the type of room it is it gives you a different bonus like for instance the outdoor room you mentioned uh gives you money which can be very tight in the game oh yeah super tight um the uh the the eating rooms the food rooms um those give you an extra action which is really rare and really hard to get. Um, the leisure rooms allow you to score the room again. And rooms have scores. That, so, so there are points that you get for each room. Some rooms just have, you get two points for building this room, or you get five points for building this room. Other rooms will say, you get four points for building this room, plus you get another two points for every food room that is adjacent to this room. And a lot of those are really kind of cleverly constructed, right? They, they'll, you can look at the bonuses given out to the room and you can sort of figure out, oh, I get it. it that's why this room is next to it. So, for instance, the activity rooms tend to be loud, right? They tend mm-hmm. to be disruptive, right? You have a bowl, there's a bowling room, there's a conservatory, uh, there's a choir room, there's all those sorts of things. So, they give a lot of points, but then they give minus points for each of several different room types that are next to it. So if you have a sleeping room that's next to your choir, that's probably not a good thing to have. So but guess what? You get docked points for that. It's really interesting. It's, it's a yeah. really interesting design, um, which creates – so you have eight different uh, room types plus stairs plus hallways, which you can buy at any point, um, and – it creates a great spatial puzzle because you're trying to make a blueprint right in front of you, a, 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 a thing, and not everything fits all the time, especially when the bonuses are paid out when you, when you connect every entrance to something of a room. That means that what you're trying to do constantly in the game Let's figure out a way to finish as many rooms as you can. And in order to do that, you have to load up your building with more and more and more rooms that have a harder and harder and harder time fitting a lot of times, which is really interesting. Right. Um, um, but there is an exception, right? Like, so that mm-hmm. brings the other element of the game where there's random uh, objectives or goals that give you uh, victory points at the end, right? And one of those is uh, having uncompleted rooms, you know? So which, that might which be can a happen. reason. Where yeah, where you you know, and again, you're 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 kind of doing the math in your head as you go, and and kind of you know deciding like, hey, is it going to be more valuable in points for me to complete rooms if that goal is out there? Uh, you're looking around to see, oh well, 
you know, Trey's got, you know, way more compute, complete, uh, uncompleted rooms anyway. So I'm not going to get that. So maybe I'll get more points here. So it's, you know, it's very, it's, it's very not multiplayer solitaire. You know, yes, because you you have the bidding thing and you you really have to pay attention ideally to what um, other people are doing in the game. And and also, like, it's very important to try to figure out based on the castle they're building what they are going to want to have. Right. Like what like how to how to price things appropriately. Totally. Uh, Because uh, and I, I got. I just got distracted. So uh, what I was trying to say was that when you are the auctioneer, you have six rooms, right? Mm-hmm. One of them you're going to have to place at a cost of $15,000, uh, one at $10,000, one at $8,000, $6,000, $4,000, and just 2000 So you look at everybody's boards. You see the rooms that they're building, what they need to complete, what they're trying to do. And you want to price things the best way you can because all the money that is paid for this auction comes to you. And as Elder said, money is really, really tight in this game. So all the rest of the rounds, you're spending money to get these buildings. You better get a big haul when you're the auctioneer, right? In that sense, it's, it's largely a closed economy. In that yep. the money is just circulating around, with certain exceptions. Uh, and what Elder said about the the um, random element, which is that at the beginning of the game, either three or four special victory conditions are pulled out, and this is basically the whims of King Ludwig. Like today, King Ludwig Ludwig really loves outdoors rooms, and he likes uh, the square footage of utility rooms, and he likes stairs. So. Whoever has the most stairs at the end of the game is going to get eight extra points. Second place is going to get four, and third place is going to get two or something along those lines, right? Um, That's the way those things work. And looking at those, that really changes your strategy. And then there's also utility cards. Utility rooms, when you complete them, get you extra utility cards, but you start the game drafting a hand of three, I believe. And mm-hmm. these are sort of secret bonus victory conditions that that you have toward the end of the game. Like, hey, guess what? Every square room is worth an extra two points to you. Every 500 square foot room is worth an extra four points to you, right? Or every yellow room is worth an extra two points to you and so on and so forth. So over the course of the game, you can kind of start to guess what cards people have by watching the different decisions that they've made in terms of placement, which is interesting. Yeah. Yep. So let's just say, who is this game for, Elder? Um, I, I think I think this is almost like a good intro into Euro games because it's, it's, you know, it, it's like that perfect blend and of being, you know, like there's, there's a lot of decisions to make and a lot of things to think about. So it, it you know, it, Typically, if you have those elements, the game is heavier, but it doesn't feel heavy when you play it. No. Right. It's like you don't you don't have to think that hard to play or even, I think, to be like effective in the game. Right. Like you can just kind of go, you know, with your gut on things. Right. And and again, you, you know, depending on who you play with, which is one of the I guess you can consider fun aspects of the game, right? It's like, you know, the table talk that can happen in this game. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're gonna you're gonna price that room there. He's gonna get that. You know how many points that is for him? Like, you know, there's that there's that whole thing. Didn't you guys do the uh, an episode about um crying in a game? 
Oh, 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 yeah, the uh, the sniveler. Yes, the sniveler. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but yeah, um, that it's it's a great game for sniveling. Um, my daughter, when she was she, this was her favorite game when she was like five years old, seven years old. Right. Which, by yeah. the way, you can play this with any age. It's really yeah. quite quite a great family game as well. Yep. And she would just talk your ear off about why, you know, Daddy, you really should put that orange room down at the $2,000 level because I don't think anybody else really wants it, but I could really use it. And then there'd be – and she would go on and on, like, just trying to, trying to like, swindle me. Yeah. <laughs> and you could see it coming a mile away because she's so young, and it's just absolutely adorable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely adorable. So yeah, family game, um, a gateway game definitely yep. is both of those. Um, it's listen, but still, but still satisfying if you're a heavy gamer. That's the thing. That's exactly yep. what I wanted to say. It's like yep. this is not, you know, if if I'm thinking I want to play Antiquity or Age of Steam, I'm not really going to reach for this instead. But right. this is one of those games that. I develop, I get a tremendous amount of pleasure playing this game against people that uh, are super casual gamers, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's enough going on. There is, there's. It, first of all, it's a good strategy. Like I could play this with hardcore gamers. We'd play it in a very different way. We'd be playing really cutthroat, um, but it's still it holds up. It'll it'll play uh, a, a heavy game crowd and be okay it's not you know the, the not not the deepest not the most amazing thing in the world but very very good yeah uh we should say that there are other variants that have come out it's it's spawned a little cottage empire um palaces of mad king ludwig came out between two castles of mad king ludwig and uh castles of mad king ludwig secrets which was the expansion set for Castles of Mad King Ludwig. That one adds secret passages where you can create secret passages that secretly connect two rooms, and then the connection bonuses for those for that connection is doubled. Uh, Swans, uh, the historical Mad King Ludwig, was called the Swan King uh, because he absolutely adored the birds, and he would always have moats with tons and tons of swans in them. Um, and in this version, uh, there'll be certain buildings. The new buildings that come out in the expansion have little swan symbols on them. And swan symbols are interesting because you can turn swans into cash that you might need at a certain moment of the game. But if you don't, if you hang on to them, swans are worth victory points at the end of the game, which is interesting. Um, and then the third thing is moats, which is moats is a tricky one, but it's also the most interesting one to me, which is what you do when you've played Madkin Ludwig more than a couple times is you realize quickly, I want some real estate. I want to build my castle out so I don't get trapped and I don't have a difficult time fitting buildings in where I need them to. So I try to create long hallways going to the left, long hallways going to the right, big long buildings going to going to the north so that I've got plenty of room to spread out. Well, moats is this thing where you can build moats around your castle and really create a small contained area. That's much, much harder to build in. But you get one, two, three times as many points for every single building inside the moated area than you would 
if you don't have the moat. So there's a strategy to playing that. And uh, I believe in that situation, the outdoor buildings have to go outside of the moat. So uh, it creates a really interesting, different va- different variant on the way you have to think about building your buildings in Castles of Mackey and Ludwig. And I guess we should also mention the, the new, the collector's edition, um, has a couple other expansions in addition. It's all the expansions we talked about. It has brand new art. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the art for the original game... I mean, it's not it, it's it's not blow your mind, but I think it's really good and really functional. Yeah, I mean, it really it fits for for the game that it is, you know. Well, the new so, art is even better, though. I have to say, yeah, it's gorgeous. Yep, absolutely it, stunning. It is it is an upgrade for sure. Um, in the the uh, collector's edition, all the rooms have moats to some uh, have not moats uh, uh, have swans to some degree. So the swan game is not something that either you get it or you don't. But rather, how do you manage the the, the swans and the number of swans on each building, and how does that change your valuation of them? Um, it adds towers, which is a whole new shape. And once you play this game a few times, a new shape just throws a real wrench in your plans. <laughs> <laughs> things right. things can get really, really crazy. And royal decrees, which I think is the the <clears throat> best idea of the bunch, which is you start off with a special power. Like uh, this is uh, asynchronous start. Nice. I start off with the ability to do this, or I start off with these resources at the beginning of the game, or I start off with the ability to do this during the game. And I, I just think that that... If you like this game, I think you're always ready to play this game as is. But, you know, adding longevity to the game by creating really good small modules to to extend its its gameplay, I think is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say I've, I've played a couple of the variants and uh, I feel like the... I didn't like them as much as the core game, Agreed. and but that said, I'm I'm still curious to see what the what the new kind of like big box version brings, and and definitely it's such a great design. I'm definitely willing to try everything, and I, you know, from from everything that's there, I'm definitely most curious about the asynchronous starts. I think that could be really cool in the game. I agree. I agree. I, I didn't care for swans too much. Um, yeah. I thought Secret Passages made a lot of sense, and they were pretty cool. Yeah. And yeah. I like the idea of moats. I may have liked the idea of moats better than when I actually played with the moats. But, exactly. But I do like the idea of, okay, guess what? Here's an extra. Uh, I see what, you, you know, everybody has figured out how to play Mad King Ludwig, where you just create these huge, sprawling castles that, you know, you would never design that way because they take up too much real estate. So guess what? Now you have to build within the constraints of a box. No. Or, you, or you don't have to, but if you do, you get mega points for it. So I, 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 I like the idea of that anyway. Yeah. And that is Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Um, I'll, I'll say it. I, I think this is one of the great gateway games that, that is out there. This is the kind of thing that I would buy uh, friends. I would buy families. This would be my go-to Christmas present for a whole bunch of people because – you do not need to be a gaming family to get into this game. And if you get into this game, you might become a gaming family. So that's, that's the way I think of it. Yeah, I agree. thousand percent. That's great. All right. Let us talk about becoming a successful board game designer. Elder, yep. take it away. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is something I've been planning to do for a long time. I had this idea 
about actually just writing this as an article. So it was a great opportunity to just kind of kind of talk it out. Um, great. And it's and it's a little weird for me in that like, you know, I've I've worked on some designs over the years. Um, you know, actually, very very briefly, I took a brief. Um, uh, hiatus from my role at the Art Institute years ago and took a, you know, basically, I think it was like three months stint, three or four months stint. No, it must have been three, actually. Um, working at a, a big toy company called MGA, where I did some designs and one of them actually got, you know, released eventually. So, you know, it's awesome. not credited, but I do have a published design out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've been, you know, I've been, it's, it's definitely a dream of mine. It's a, it's a, it's a creative kind of expression. I have some designs rolling around in my head right now. I'm definitely, it's on my list of kind of goals for this year to get one really finished and, and ideally published. Um, but I also recognize like my strengths in that um, I think I'm definitely better at supporting uh, game design development. Like I could see myself being a really good game design, you know, a uh, board game design producer or like, you know, right. kind of like running some type of, you know, collective or, or group, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I, you know, all that said, um, I've, I've had the, the real honor and privilege of, um, being, you know, close friends with, you know, one of the, the best designers in the business, uh, John D. Clare. And, um, Oh yeah. yeah. For those He's, who don't know, John DeClaire did Mystic Veil, vale, uh, yeah. Space Base, um, uh, uh, like Ecos. I think was his was, was his game. Uh, yep. uh, Trey and I have uh, have have played and uh, played with John before and 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 met John. Uh, I think Trey Trey knows him fairly well as well. And he, he, yep. really one of the very very good designer. Yep. Very yep. good person and, too. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's one of the things, right? Um he also did Edge of Darkness. His latest game is Cubitos, which I, I you know, I think I've tested all of these games. Um I've been, you know, again privileged to be part of his his playtest group. So, you know, I'm I'm credited as a playtester on on many, if not all, of his designs. Um but these are is just a list of things that I've observed um watching him over the years. You know, like I, I was in a playtest group with him and, and Dave Mines that used to meet up, I think, you know, once a month at this cafe uh, before he had, you know, like I think he had maybe published one like kind of light game at that point. But this, this was before, um, uh, you know, his kind of like big games, definitely way before Mystic Veil. Vale, but I remember when he when he first uh, I remember the first playtest of Mystic Veil. Vale, and I remember when he invented card crafting, when he, you know, got the acetate out and he was like developing that. Like I remember like testing that with him. So it's really been fascinating. So so here's a, a list of things um, that I think has, you know, really been from the real keys that, that, you know, as an observer I've seen. So the first thing is consistency persistence, right? Which I think you can kind of argue is the same thing, but this guy just never stops. Like He's always working on a design. I don't. I don't remember ever a time where he was taking a break. Usually, he's working on two or three different designs, mm. and he he never gives up on them. Like I think maybe like I remember talking to him a while back, and him saying like, uh, you know, like you know maybe this design I need to put to bed or put on on the shelf for a while. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he is just 
absolutely tenacious and and just will keep going until he he works it out and has no doesn't seem to have any problem about it right well you know it's it's that uh, expression art is never finished only abandoned yeah you're always iterating you're always trying to improve you're always trying to figure out a way oh this idea that i had a way back that i that i I abandoned. I didn't abandon it. It's still in the back of my mind. It's still sitting yep. there, just waiting for a chance to be reborn. Right. Yep. Yep. And and again, I I think as we go through these, these are kind of like, you know, except for very a couple of very specific things. These are just kind of general keys to success in general. I think in any kind of creative endeavor, you know, whether you're a writer or you know a, a visual artist or you know whatever it is, right. Um, so the next thing is he's got great pitchability, which kind of translates into sales or, or communication skills, right? So he's always able to kind of quickly pitch you his game. I've never sat in on a pitch meeting with him with a publisher, but I can just tell by how he pitches the game, you know, to players, which I've seen him done so many times over the years that he, I know he's great in the room and I, and I'm sure that you know, any publisher would be, you know, interested to have him. I think he has a, I don't know if it's an exclusive deal, but I think it's kind of like a, a, per, a first look deal with AEG. They really recognize how talented he, he is. Mm-hmm. So they're, I mean, I think that's his main, um, I don't think, I know that's his main publishing outfit uh, outlet. They've done most of his games. I think they published so, but, at least three of his games, right? Yeah, at least three. I mean, Space Base, Mystic Veil, Ecos, Edge of Dark, like all these games are, they're all AEG games. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's, again, I just think that's a great ability to be able to pitch. Now, how, um, do, how do you get better at that? That's, that's my, pra- question. That, that's my question. Well, yeah. well, with, with all of these things is practice, right? I, so I actually, um, you know, being a professor, an actual professor, I've, I've taught pitch classes. Uh, one of the last, I think actually with the last class that I taught at LMU actually a couple years ago was a pitch class specifically for VR, projects which was a lot of fun to do um and then i've also taught like uh feature film uh pitches uh which is a great class but really it's it's (laughs) it's just it's just from from doing it you know you just do it over and over again and ideally what you want to do is also you want to get feedback from other um first of all people who who pitch and who are successful, who sold stuff, right? Yeah. So it's great to get feedback from them. And then also it's great to get feedback from, <clears throat> you know, development people, people who take a lot of pitches, right? Like, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, Guy, Guy Kawasaki, the 10, 20, 30 rule. Sure. Right. Um, he basically designed the kind of like the modern classic pitch, which so many people use. And there's been, you know, some tweaks and evolutions over the last couple of years. But, you know, just having that solid kind of format and there's just, you know, just so many kind of like tips. But, um, yeah, again, I think like most anything else, you get bet- better from the reps. You yeah. know, the more you pitch, the better you're going to get. Well, yeah, I, it's it's more than just pitching, though, right? I mean, listen, this is a, an area that I have uh, a lot of experience in. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, my job is pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that part of it is, is, is pitching and pitching often and pitching to people like my family knows people, you know, people that know me know I'm pitching all the time. I, you know, they're like, oh, yeah. he's, he's going to tell me another mo- movie idea. Oh God, please don't do it. <laughs> Why? 
right? Because it, it's because it helps hone you. And the important thing is to find people in your life. Like if you are not, what if you're not connected to any game designers or publishers or people that hear pitches? Yeah. Find your least agreeable friend. <laughs> Hmm. find the person that you know find the tray in your life the person that will <laughs> that that is is going to you know see that one dark cloud on the sunny day who is going to be able to i'm i'm totally joking but because trey's, <laughs> trey's actually a really i have rarely met somebody as positive as trey is about creative processes he is right. he is the first person to leap on the bandwagon and to help you make your project better so he is not that way at all but uh, for for somebody starting out, what you need is you need somebody to not just say, "Oh, that's great," not just say the you know, not just be encouraging, because you can die of encouragement if you're yep. a if you're a creative, right? You need to be able to hear people say, even if they don't know why. I don't know why, but I didn't really respond to that part of it. And it's your job to be able to start to take criticism and to take criticism well. That is a huge part in getting better at pitching and getting better at telling stories and being able to get better at explaining how a game plays and how a game works is being able to hear criticism, not get defensive, and and look at how to address it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And that, that takes us into another great you know, kind of key or um, kind of skill that I've, I've observed, which is being gracious, right? So that to mm-hmm. pull these into like, you know, not getting, you know, butt hurt or taking it personal when, you know, somebody has a criticism. Um, uh, this is not to be confused with being humble, right? Because, you know, I, I also recognize that John is like he's very confident, like he knows he's a he's a badass game designer. But the way he is about it is like there's not it doesn't occur like there's a lot of like ego there. Like he like he could like, again, you know, how many people, you know, dream of like having this type of success where you have all these games and not only are they, you know, are they published, but they're actually like very recognizable games, kind of like inventing a whole new, you know, kind of mechanic in the space of games, right? Like, I mean, he could have like a super big head about it and he's he's completely the opposite of that, right? Like he, you know, again, he recognizes that. I think that he's a great designer and it, you know, it's always just about the work, you know, the work ethic. And I, you know, one of, one of my favorite kind of moments with John was we were, we were at uh strategic con, right. Mm-hmm. And there was some people playing um, mystic veil or somebody, the young girl who just bought mystic veil and she spotted John and they were like, you could see the whispers like, Oh, th- that's designer right there. And he, and they bought the game and they're like, Oh, could you, could you sign our game, sir? And, and John was like, Oh, sure. And just the way he was about it, like how he was with her, it was just like, man, that's just so cool, man. It's just, just, just great. And, you know, again, I just think that translates across the board, you know, people wanting to work with you to do business with you. you yeah. I, th- I think that most of the game designers that, that I've gotten to know, um, are that combination of, Confident, but also very approachable, and and you know, yeah, you're right. It's not it's not humble, but they're but they're open and they're a little they're they're a little self-effacing. They're not totally 
you know, they, they love what they're doing. They, they feel like they've achieved a certain level of confidence in what they're doing, but they're open to hearing other interpretations of their work because that's what's going to make them better. I, I, I think of people like mm. uh, uh, Tim Fowers and, you know, a lot, a lot of the, 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 the big game designers that, that I've met. But t- Tim is an interesting guy because he's also a, 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 in the John D. Clare world of he's got a stable of games that he's made and they've they, there are a lot of hits there and he's kind of created his own uh his own sort of mini brand for, for yeah. his games uh which is which is really interesting you know and and then you have uh Martin Wallace yeah <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> who i love but you know i'm a, i'm a sucker for british curmudgeons that's my that's my thing that is yep. That is my thing, with it, without a doubt. That's great. That's great. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I feel like I might be uh, uh, sidetracking you, and I don't want to do no, that. No, not not at all. Not at all. So um, the the next thing is um, is that he's always testing. So he's always testing his designs. He's really great at managing um, the play tests. Um, I one of the things that's like super impressive to me is like, you know, typically. You know, like again, if you're at like a strategic con or if you're at a game night with some friends, right? Or, you know, one of the events that we go to that's like an all day, you know, like SoCal Games Day or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, everybody's playing published games, finished games, right? Rarely do you see anybody pulling out a play test. Like, usually play tests are specifically for like a play test event. Right, you know, or playtest groups and so on and or, so forth. Or playtest group, right, where other designers are playing other games, right? Yeah. John has the amazing ability to bring out his – always has his games with him. Sure. And will pull his games out, and because he's great at pitching and because he's so gracious in these other things, get people to play his uh, prototypes at a game where everybody's – at an event where everybody's playing published games. And I've seen him do it so many times, right? Like, I've done it. I've been like, oh, yeah, I want to play that, you know, instead of some published game, which I think <laughs> it's amazing. I've never seen anybody else do that except him. Yeah. I, and, Trey and, does that. Yeah. Trey does that. He's one of the only people that I know that actually does that, too, um, yeah. to the point where he'll bring it to our game night and be like, all right, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off by playing this. and. Yep. Everybody groans <laughs> because we're awful friends. We're just horrible, horrible people. Um, but we guess what? We play the game. We give him. We give him the notes, and, and he moves on. He's got. He's got uh, several playtesting groups, I think, but definitely yeah. a, a main playtesting group that he plays with. But he know. But he, he, I totally agree. I've heard him say it's important. Like you can get so much feedback from a playtest group, but you have to branch out. You have to yep. be introducing it to to different people, people that have never played that game before, people that don't know your your design or your design style because that's the that's the public, right? That's what's out there. Exactly. Exactly, right? Which brings us to our next point, which is an incredible level of discernment with the player feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I feel like this has been one of my fatal flaws where, you know, I think the 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 game design that I got the farthest with, and again, we we've all been in, in the same playtest group, actually. Me, Trey, and John, and you know, uh, Dave Mines is in that group or was in that group at one time. And um, the the game I was designing was uh, 
uh, I called it Master Magician. So it's basically the um, uh, the Prestige, uh-huh. uh, and there was another movie that was similar to that at the same time. The Illusionist. With, mm, was it The Illusionist it was, with um, the guy that played the Hawk that one time? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, it, yeah. It's called episode. The Illusionist. Yes. Okay, uh, got it. Okay. Yes, Paul Giamatti yeah. was in it as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So it, basically, it's like it's it's that time area it's era. And you you go from um, uh, you know being a uh, like you know on the corner parlor parlor magician with card tricks on up to these grand illusions, right? Mm-hmm. I I was heartbroken, right? <laughs> when Tricarian came out <sighs> after a year or two after I was developing the game, it felt like I was getting close, and I just couldn't bring myself to work on it anymore. But um. Now, let me. I don't want to distract you, but yeah. Um, do you do you design theme first? Because I know that that there there are people that find an interesting mechanic, work it out, and then figure out the theme that best fits that. Do you? But but you seem to yeah. come from theme first. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very very much thematic. You know, in my designs, I always start there, and then yeah, try to figure out the mechanics uh, as we go. Right. But but one thing I did um, with that game, I felt like too much was every time I got player feedback yep. um, from the test group, I would make pretty radical changes in the design to address that feedback. Right. Uh-huh. Every single time. What I've what I've witnessed with John over the years is I've actually he always asked for f- feedback. And oh, another thing that that he does as far as play testing is like he will like if there's enough players he will just watch everybody else play the game instead of play the game himself which yeah. i always had a hard time doing i always wanted to play the game you right. know like i i find it very difficult to just watch watch people play but he's he's amazing doing both yeah right? but when like you play when really you play, play your own game you're kind of tainting the you're you're kind of tainting the sample size right yeah a, yeah. a little yeah. bit right because yep. you're you're showing them maybe you're you're maybe showing them how to play the game in a way that may not be in the rules or you know th- there may be other forms of emergent play that would that would come out if you weren't there telling people what to do yeah and and also again from the the viewpoint of the designer it's always about and this is true for any game whether it's it's analog or or a video game or digital or some other type right is it's all about the end user experience so you as the designer and the kind of inventor scientists Mm. um really need to have your attention on that end user and like you know watching their facial expressions and kind of like what they say as they're playing the game and 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 taking in all of that information um and and so he's great at that but but also like what really blows my mind is that he is super clear like any like great film director right yeah when people play the game he always asks for feedback at the end Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but then they'll they you know of course, people always want to make suggestions, right? Well, if you did this or, or oh, you should change this. Or that. And then he's very like so super clear and like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'll think about that. No, that's not what I want. Like, I, I mean, without hesitation. Yeah. Um, and that's just like just just an incredible skill, I think, to have. It's right? so important. I mean, OK, so not to distract again, but sure, sure. Um, I, I teach a graduate screenwriting course. Yeah, and 
what most programs do is you the grad student writes the screenplay and then they send it to the professor for for analysis and then the professor sends them notes and then they rewrite based on those notes i don't i don't do that what i do is i have them all uh, generally over the course of the year they write a screenplay I have them do something I call super drafting, which is they have a, an entire screenplay by October. Mm-hmm. And then they read each other's. And mm. each one of them writes up a one-page list of here's what – you know, here's the log line of the project. Right. Here's what's important to me about it. Here are the things I don't want to change. Here are the things that, that are the key elements for me about the story. Here are right. the questions I have. Is this working? Does that work? And so on and so forth. Mm. So, that when, so that what we do is we have Zoom calls where we have pitch sessions. And each of the other people in the cohort, in the, in the class, will pitch that person how they would rewrite their project. But without that first page of notes that they get from that person... Right. They might be pitching them things that are entirely unhelpful to that person because they don't know... Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. Is not this this type of note? This type of change to my game? This type of change to my screenplay would will not be helpful to me. Here are the areas that anything that I don't say is is the focus of it. All of that can change, and I, I find it's it's one of the most one of the trickiest things for uh, uh, for creatives to do is to find that sweet spot between rejecting too much feedback and being locked into something and and not letting it breathe and not letting it become its best version and being too permissive of feedback to the point of sabotaging your your own your own growth of your project yep yeah i couldn't agree with you more i think that's that's fantastic right and which which actually you just reminded me i've been meaning to pitch um uh, you and Matt an idea. So I w- there's one more Uh-oh. thing I want to uh, do on this, and then we'll come back to that. Okay. <laughs> Wait, you're gonna pitch on? You're gonna pitch right here on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna pitch you something. Uh oh, here we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But but let, 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 just to tie this conversation up, there's one last thing I wanted to mention, which is the quality of his prototypes. So again, if you go on any type of like board game design forum, you know, a lot of times the advice is just quick and dirty, just, you know, get a first pass done, don't care about the art, you know, you're going to be making changes, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think to a certain degree, that's, that's accurate, right? You don't want to, you don't want to over design your prototypes because again, they are prototypes and they are going to change. Yeah. But, um, you know, John, Claire brings a level of craftsmanship and invention to his prototypes that I have rarely seen with other designers. I mean, it is just incredible how he invents kind of like, you know, little boxes and these little dot uh, uh, towers. And, and, and again, he's always also like, you know, thinking about innovating in the space, right? Like he recognizes that, you know, there's a ton of similar product in the market. And if he's really going to stand out and get his game published, he knows he's got to come up with something different. A la, you know, this concept of the car crafting that he invented, which I think is just, you know, absolutely incredible. And, and I know, you know, other people, you can't, I don't think you can copyright these things or trademark them. Uh, cause that would just be kind of like a legal nightmare, I think. But, um, you know, I just think, 
just having it out there that he's done that and now that other people are considering it or 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 emulating that i think is is an amazing accomplishment in and of itself well as to the quality of prototypes i mean trey has said several times that he sometimes errs on the other side right sometimes Mm -hmm. he designs way too like he'll he'll spend all his time printing up the custom cards and this and then Mm -hmm. the other thing and he makes beautiful beautiful prototypes of games that that by his own admission, might not be ready for beautiful, beautiful prototypes yet, right? right? It's like sort of like he's he's making the beta version of a game that's still in alpha, right? Yeah, and it, and it's a, and it's a pitfall that I think you could have at a, as a designer, which I, again I think he does he does it perfectly. Like I know he like he's taught himself uh, Illustrator, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm super impressed by. Like he just was just out of necessity. He makes these kind of beautiful. Um, rule books, you know, before they go to the publisher. So all of these assets, I know when he actually goes to publish and actually, you know, um, the publisher hires an artist to to actually do the final art on his game. He's he's either, you know, kind of created some stuff himself, or he's really great at finding, you know, found images online, like for cards and stuff that kind of match up with what he wants the final product to look like. Mm-hmm. And then that gives like an abundance of reference for the artists when they actually do the final art on the game. And I got to say, here's the thing. I think that, that Trey, though he says that he, he sometimes has spent too much time, you know, making the, the art really nice for these things that are still in an alpha state. I don't think he's wrong. I think at the end of the day, I mean, his career has shown, you know, with the Situation Room and things like that, that yeah. his his attention to detail, to the way it, to the way something looks and the way something feels, is so crucial. And when he brings these things out at, you know, at game events, yeah, and it doesn't look like an alpha prototype. It doesn't look like you know just just playing cards with things pasted on, but it looks like a professional production. He's yeah. getting many more people trying it out. Right, he's getting yep. many more people playing it, even if it's not as polished as he's going to end up wanting it to be, because of. And he's really, I mean, you've you've seen our, our yeah. LARPs, you've seen the amount of work that Trey puts into the cards and the elements of our LARPs, and it's it's astonishing. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I remember actually um, <laughs> Trey ribbing me a bit about my Master Magician game because I had um, I had the board on like. You know those giant size post-its, the like kind of yellow with lines on it. <laughs> I had I had the board drawn on that kind of crudely, and I re- <laughs> I remember, and I had it like I never. Well, I I I don't know if I ever did the board or not. Maybe I did later on, but I just remember specifically. I never forget it. Trey was like, "All right, Elder, this is the last time I want to play test this game on this crappy piece of yellow paper." <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, I think that's that's all I wanted to say. And you know, again, I hope this is useful to you know all of the kind of fledgling designers out there, or or any kind of creative endeavor. I think if you if you take these kind of elements on, I think you will be a, a better artist and just generally more successful in whatever you're up to. I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna recap. You said yep. uh, persistence and consistency, yep. which is don't stop. Don't stop. Yep. Even a design that has failed, yes, shelve it, put it away, but keep it in the back of your mind because you never know when the next thing you see, the next thing you read, the next thing you play might bring that back to life in a different way. Uh, second thing, develop your communication skills. Always be pitching. Always be 
iterating, talking to people about the things that you're doing and getting better at getting people excited about the things that you're excited about. Um, testing, test, 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 and test in uncomfortable environments. Test with people that may not be quite ready for your test if they're willing to. Be gracious, so important, so important as a, as a creative to be, to be confident, but not to be shut off to good and valid criticism and good and, and people, you know, the, the best things in the world, there are some people that say, yeah, I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't like it doesn't help me. But if they tell me why I, they, they didn't like it, I might just find a way to make something much, much better. Um, spend the time to make quality prototypes, but be it, pay attention to what level of design you're at, where you are in the design process. Um, yeah, and, and use discernment with player feedback. Know, know enough about what the core of your design is so that you can change, uh, change what you need to change, but maintain that forward progress. Does that sound like uh, a lot of what I'm talking, what you talked about? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just a couple more things again, always look to innovate, you know, um, <laughs> there's, all, there's always that level. If you want your design is to stand out and you want to be published, the, the game publishers are always looking for the next big thing. And then finally, finally, always the, the, your design is really about players playing the game. So as you're testing, as you're developing, uh, keep your focus on the player experience. Love it. Love it. Oh, that was a great, a great segment. I think that, that uh, we probably have a bunch of people out there that, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know too many people that play board games and don't, in the back of their minds, think that maybe I have something that I would like to design as a game. Uh, this is a great list of, and a very positive, very encouraging list of uh, qualities that you want to, uh, to engender in yourself. Uh, in order to embark on this uh, on this journey, which is awesome, shall we get cool. to a game sommelier? Well, before that, oh, you, you ready for uh, my pitch? Real quick? <laughs> okay, hit me. All right. <clears throat> so, I got this idea. Right again, I'm always thinking about content. Right. Yeah. As an extension of Game Brain, again, you and Maddie are these brilliant writers, and I think a lot of people in the group, Trey, Ooh. myself, are pretty good at story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of, um, I don't know what the log line is, but basically, like, what if we had somehow some content, I don't know if it would be a graphic novel, I mean, eventually it would be really cool to be an animated show, I don't know, but basically having the game brainers uh, basically be in a virtual world where we would kind of be LARPing um, our different gameplay experiences. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. I just want to make sure that I understand what you're what you're saying. So yeah, yeah. So so um, there was a game. Uh, there was a show early on. Um, I can't. It was the what do they call it in World of Warcraft uh, when you're a group? Um, uh, oh God, the, it was like the party or something. Sandra Day from from Buffy the Vampire Slayer created it. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, 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 the guild. The guild, the guild, right? So basically, Game Brain meets the guild, right? Oh. So each one of us is a character, right? <laughs> we, we do the voices, we do our personality, and we do these, we play these games where basically you can LARP the whole thing out and you basically see the whole thing. Like, <laughs> again, an example could be if we played a pirate game, right? 
each one of I mean, can you imagine like <laughs> Oh my god. Dimitri being a like a pirate in a pirate game, like all of us, right? Uh, the problem is, is that I, and... I already do that, and I annoy the heck out of every single one of our one of our game group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, <laughs> oh man, but I, a... but I think it would be wild, wildly entertaining, though. Right? Oh, like, hugely, if, hugely. Yeah. That is very interesting, dude. We're gonna have to talk offline about that. Okay. That okay. is an idea, man. That is. That would be so fun. That would hey, be... and 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 Game Brain fans, if you want to sh- see this show uh, happen <laughs> or graphic novel or something, then then tell us about it. And uh, you know, maybe ladies and gentlemen, that was great pitchability combined with persistence. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, our game sommelier. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay. Which game should go? Which to play with Mama, Madame, my boo? You got to tell me, Monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. We have got a game sommelier from Facebook this time. I don't think we've ever done one from Facebook before, but uh, Theodore gave us a little thing where he was saying... I've been playing Catan, Cities and Nights, or Nights and Cities, can't remember which, with my folks for years. But when we get together, twice a year or so, um, recently, it's been taking quite a bit longer than usual. I'm looking for a faster, simpler game that has some of the same player interaction as in trading. I'm not looking for bluffing games, though. That is Theodore's question. Um... I'll start with a with a confession. I hate Catan Nights and Cities. I don't. <laughs> I I played Catan, and then when I played Nights and Cities, I'm like, so you took eighty percent of the fun out of the game and made it four hundred percent longer. I just I was like, I don't care for this. I know a lot of people absolutely love it, but uh. it felt to me like they were taking a really elegant design and trying to make it a very very different game like too too different a game for for me so taking longer than usual that was my experience with with uh, with cities and nights for sure yeah um, I agree with that assessment <laughs> so <laughs> let, let's let's talk first let's talk about trading games cuz trading is actually a an element that is not in a ton of games. It's really not uh, a ubiquitous. You would have thought with Settlers of Catan being the the what would you the, the doorway into our hobby that yeah. there would be a lot more games that would have well you collect these elements and then you trade them with your with your fellow players, but really few and far between. Not that common. Yep. Um. So I think of games like Genoa and Chinatown, which are trading games. I mean, the whole game is about trading. And uh, of the two of those, Genoa, I think, is just a great game. Doesn't Probably doesn't take too long and might be the kind of thing that you, you, you might want to play with your folks. So that's something to consider. Uh, then there are the games that are essentially trading is the entire game. Like that, it's as simple as that. Like Bonanza, the the great Uwe Rosen or Uwe Rosenberg's first hit, Bonanza, uh, bean trading game, which is which is really really great. Um, and then um, above and below has a trading aspect, and so does Firefly. Firefly, we don't want to talk about a, a lot. I don't really want to talk about Joss Whedon right now, but the mm. Firefly board game is 
um, for that somewhere in between Ameritrash and 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 Euro games is a is a pretty solid design, and trading is a significant aspect of that game. So something to think about there. Um, any any thoughts on your end? Because I was taking it from the trading aspect, but there's a lot more to what makes Catan Catan, and and maybe there are other you know simpler games that that kind of scratch that itch. Yeah, well, I I figure you did the same thing I did. Went to the geek and and <laughs> looked at the trading games, right? A so bit, yeah, I I went you know pretty deep in, into the list and I, and I found a few uh, Ponzi scheme. I don't know if you've ever played. Oh yeah, that. yeah, oh, that's a that, good one. It, that's a very fun game and and you know shouldn't take very long. It's very in, in, interactive. I think very um, you know family family friendly friendly and light, but still like a very like super interesting fun game. Yeah. Um, I mentioned before container is fantastic. It's just such a great game. Um, red cathedral is a, a game that recently came out. I'm, I'm trying to think of the, it was on a list, but I, I'm trying to think of the trading aspect of it. Um, but still, I've never ahead. played red cathedral, so I can't really speak to it, but. Yeah, it's 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 a fun little design, and and again, shouldn't take very long, you know. Um, I think it's like classic ninety minute length, um, definitely worth worthwhile checking out. Um, and then there's this little game called Venice. I was on a Dave Turksey kick uh, a little while back when you know the the T games came out last year. Oh yeah, and um, you know this was one of the the games which is very like you don't hear a lot of people talking about this game. It's called Venice. Um, and it's a very interesting game where the map is like, you know, um, you basically sailing gondolas around mm-hmm. the Venice canals and, you know, there's like, it's basically a big traffic jam and, you know, there's all these like rules of like when you pass another gondolier and when you stop at the same place as another gondolier, some stuff happens and it's just basically like a pickup, like super interesting pickup and delivery type system that's definitely worth you know trying out i think oh cool and i'll just i'll just end with a with a couple other games that are sort of light euros like like settlers of Catan is that might uh, that might scratch your itch uh one is i'll mention goa rudiger dorn's a, a, a classic game is a fairly simple game to to get into doesn't take uh, doesn't wear out its welcome and might be interesting to you it's kind of got a little bit of a settler's feel in the in the idea that you're going out and establishing trade routes and colonies and so on and so forth um hawaii uh, is mm. a surprisingly fun you know reasonably light game and uh, stone age so those are are three games that might have the same kind of weight as a cities and knights might have, uh, but don't don't uh, wear out their welcome. They just don't have trading as a, as one of their aspects. So, All right, you might you might also that brings to mind. Um, there's a game called Boomtown. Did you ever play Boomtown? No, but I know the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've never yeah. played it though. Yeah, so the cards represent your minds, and there's some special cards. You know, you can have a saloon, saloon girls, and, you know, you're basically bidding on these different minds, and then there's dice, you know, rolling that happens, you know, to have the minds pay out every round. And, you know, it's just, it's very interactive, very fun, light game that really shouldn't take very long. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I got to, I have, now I have to play Venice and Boomtown. Yep. 
Yeah. This is what you do to me, Elder. You drive me crazy. You're like, you're oh, like yeah? well, have you played this game? No, it was seven. <laughs> it was seven years ago. It was right in between those two games that you played all the time. You played like thirty times in two months, and just never even branched out to play these other games. Yeah, I think Venice is a better game. <laughs> yeah, I love the hidden gems, man. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, Elder, thanks so much. This was a. I, I think uh, hopefully. There are a bunch of people out there that have thought a little bit about uh, getting into designing their own games. And, and maybe this is a little conversation we had is the spark that will, uh, that will start them down uh, on their process and start them uh, creating their, their first games. Uh, yeah. And what, what can we say about Castles of Mad King Ludwig? I mean, any game that has spawned this many sequels and variants uh, is obviously a very, very solid design. The fact that you can finding a game that I can play with my kids or with super casual gamers that doesn't bore me to tears that still engages me is a huge, huge uh, coup, and a spot on my uh, my game shelf is definitely warranted for this game. Uh, check out the collector's edition because it is absolutely gorgeous, Elder. Thank you so much. It is always a pleasure getting together with the professor, and we're going to have to talk about this uh, this this LARP series <laughs> that you're talking about. <laughs> oh, man. Can't wait. Uh, yep. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group and a Discord channel, both very active. Please get in. Game Sommelier questions. We need our Game Sommelier questions. And you have been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, and Trey Alsop. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. Special thanks also to Edamaros for our amazing art each week. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks so much for listening, and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games.